So let's keep going. Let's dig into the Word of God today. As we do, I, I want to just start off with a personal word, if you wouldn't mind. I just, uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. I, I don't know how else to start this off. But I'm humbled at the opportunity to be able to speak this last message that we're going to be using on this series called The End. I want you to know, and I know you know this about me, but I love God. I really love God with everything within me. I also want you to know that I fear God. It's a healthy thing, but I, I fear God um, with all of my heart. And I love my church. I love every one of you, and, and I really do. It's, it, you mean everything to me. And the book of Revelation, of course, is no small undertaking for any of us. In other words, whether it's me who is presenting or us who are, are receiving and doing our own personal studies, there's something of a depth and dimension of the book of Revelation that is just, to me, it's, it is no small undertaking. And I feel a weight of heaviness today as I conclude the series. We're going to end it one week sooner than we anticipated. But as, as we conclude this today, um, I don't know, I've got a stirring inside of me. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. This isn't really part of my notes, but it's something that's stirring within me. And uh, maybe, maybe just because maybe Jesus is going to be coming sooner than we think. You know, we seem to have this thought in our minds and hearts that this is probably not going to be my generation. It's probably going to be another generation. And I know a lot of generations have said that and they've been right so far, but we don't know for sure. We're not 100% sure when Jesus is going to come back. So I beg you, church, I beg you, I beg you to be ready. I beg you to, to be um, someone who is moving forward with, with Jesus and his return to this earth. And I love every one of you in a, in a way that... that uh, that I want you to know that Jesus comes as a thief in the night is what the scripture says. It's not, we, we, we don't know when it's going to be. And he says, he comes uh, as a thief in the night. In other words, what he is saying is that we won't know for sure. There's all kinds of signs that have been fulfilled and Jesus can literally come back any moment if he wanted to, but he's holding off for whatever the reasons are. So I'm asking you church, I'm asking you today to be ready, to be ready for his return. I know that that was a whole message that I dealt with a few weeks back, but to be ready is really what we need to do. So we are week five in our series called The End, and the message today is Jesus of Revelation. Jesus of Revelation. I love the songs that we sang today that were focusing on Jesus like it was. It was just perfect with the message today. So should you be new here to this, to this church this week or the last couple of weeks, we are in the conclusion of the series that is entitled The End. And what we're doing is that we're digging in the Word of God to give us some insight, insight about the end of time, insight about the last days, insight about the second coming of Christ and the end of the world as we know it. And the Bible is crystal clear. It is crystal clear. Jesus Christ is coming to this sorry, broken, messed up world and in his return to the earth, the second time, um, the, the second time will be with great power and great glory and great judgment and great fear. There will be nothing that will compare to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ back into this world a second time. Nothing is going to be like it. It was so beautiful. It was so sweet. It was so amazing the first time that Jesus came. You know the story, born in a manger and all that other stuff, little baby Jesus. We realize all of that, but the second time is going to be different. The second coming of Christ, he is not going to be coming back uh, to die on a cross, but when Jesus comes back, Jesus is coming as a lamb. He is coming as a lion, and he will judge the living and the dead. And the good news is, the good news is, Jesus is coming back again. Come on, give me an amen. Jesus is coming back again. 
And as I've already said, we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared. He says, I will come as a thief in the night. In other words, you do not know. I do not know exactly when he's going to show up. And we need to be prepared. So just so you know, just so you know, one last stat that I've given throughout the series, and that is, is that there are three times more prophetic scripture, prophetic scripture on the second coming of Jesus than what was on his first coming. It is a reality. Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. So we're going to go deeper in the book of Revelation than what we've been doing. And we've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So let's, let's get rocking and let's get rolling. Go with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Again, we have all of the projections of our scriptures and emphasis that we want you to, to see and to read. It will be projected behind me. But if you want to use your tablets, however you want to work with all of that, that will be fine with me. Go with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. And it says these words. Love this. Blessed is he who, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Did you hear this? Something is being said in this particular verse that is not said anywhere else in the Bible. Let me read it to you again. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. For the time is near. Pastor Jack Hayford, he's been my mentor for just about 40 years of my life out of, out of California, Van Nuys, California. And he makes a comment to all of this that I want to share with you. He says, the author says that, it says that there is a built-in guaranteed blessing to anyone who reads or hears the words of, of uh, the, this book of prophecy. He says, and, and then he says, there is not another uh, place in any book of the Bible that this carries the exact same specific promise. There is something of a blessing, something of a, of, of a happiness, something of a favor that is bestowed on those who read and those who hear the word of this particular book, the book called Revelation. And the truth is, is that many of us, if not most of us, we even as believers and followers of Christ, many if not most of us are fearful and a little bit afraid of that last book of the, of the New Testament called Revelation. And I believe that people are fearful because they are missing the single most important topic, single most important topic of Revelation. And it's not the Antichrist. It's not about the beast or 666. It's not about the rapture. It's not about the two witnesses and the 144,000. It's not about the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of judgment. No, the single most important topic in the book of Revelation is what I've been teaching you for the last 27 years as your pastor. And even going through this series right here that we've done over these last five weeks now, the answer is found in the first five words of the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 1. The answer is found in the first five words in the book of Revelation chapter 1. And are you ready? Are you ready to hear what this is all about? Because this to me will open our eyes. This to me would open our hearts to an understanding, a better understanding of what's taking place in this particular time. And it says the, these words it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you look with me there, Revelation chapter one, verse one, those five words are the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Apocalypse is the Greek word meaning uh, revelation. And revelation, revelation means it's on your notes being projected behind me. An unveiling or unfolding of things not previously known and which 
could not be known apart from the unveiling, uncovering of the visible appearance of Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. Let me read it slower. The uh, revelation means an unveiling or unfolding of things not previously known and which could not be known apart from the unveiling, uncovering of the visible appearance of Jesus Christ. So the last book in the New Testament is actually the unfolding, it is the unveiling of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the center of all prophecy. Come on, give me an amen. Jesus is the center of all prophecy. What we're reading in this book and what we read in the Bible, it is prophetic. It is what is going to be taking place. And so we find here that Jesus is the center of all prophecy. We here at Word of Life, we are unwavering in our faith in who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the son of the living God. He is the one only true God. He is revealed in three persons. Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe in the deity of Jesus as God's son. He is both human and divine. And he is the author and he is the finisher of all of our faith. And as we read and listen to the words of this book, if we don't focus, if we don't focus on Jesus then we will, we will miss the entire theme of the book. All about the book of Revelation. You need to be thinking of Jesus. You need to understand this is all about him. This is how it's ending. This is what he says is going to be done and done right. So if we don't focus on Jesus, we're gonna miss the entire theme which is set before us. And again, I say this to you. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about the beast or the 666 numbers or about the rapture or about the two witnesses and the 144,000. It's not about the seven seals, seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of judgment. But, but that we would see and know all of who uh, who Jesus, the Son of God, really is. Let me say it again to you. That we would see and know all of who Jesus, the Son of God, is. That's what it's all about. So as, uh, if we as believers and followers of Jesus begin to be fearful, as things begin to happen, as maybe some of the things you're gonna hear today, it's unsettling for me. It must be unsettling for most of us, I'm assuming. But as we're going through this, if we as believers are going through this and we find ourselves to be fearful and to be afraid, a little bit uneasy about the revelation of the, of the end of time, then we are focusing our lives on something different. We're doing, we're suffering, uh, focusing on the wrong thing. So in Revelation chapter one, verse one, it says, give, give, gives us the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is the secret to our faith, Jesus who is the secret to our hope, Jesus who is the secret to our expectancy through the entire book of Revelation from beginning to end. It is hope, it is filled with hope and faith and expectancy. So the book of Revelation is broken down into, into five specific sections. And I'm going to encourage you as I go through these five specific, these five specific um, uh, areas of, of this, I want you to yourself to begin to dig a little bit and to read into it in light of the sections that we're dealing with. I'm taking some of this material from Craig Rochelle, and Rochelle shows us five main themes to see who Jesus is in each of these sections. Five sections, and we're going to look at what is the emphasis of each of those five sections. Now remember, this book is primarily about Jesus, and I believe what we're going to talk about today is going to build your faith. 
I'm believing that what you're going to hear today is going to bless you as well. It's going to give you a hope. You can walk out of here with your shoulders back and with a confidence that God has everything. God has everything under control. Come on, give me an amen. Let's go to section one. So we're going to go to five sections. Section number one is is dealing with Revelation chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. I'm going to read every word. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to read every word in that at all. But uh, it, it is going to be, the theme of section one is that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, and Jesus is returning soon. Go with me to Revelation chapter one, verse eight. Love this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus says. The beginning, uh, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is the Alpha and the omega. In other words, he is the first and the last. So the letters in Greek alphabet would say that, alpha and omega. But of course, when we turn to the American version of all of that, we would say A to Z. Jesus is. Jesus is saying, I am A to Z. I, I've got it all. I deal with it all. I'm, I'm perfect with it all. The first and the last. He says, I am the beginning and the end, which means Jesus says, there is nothing outside of the arena of my capacity to be able to handle it. Nothing. There's nothing that takes place. Nothing that happens. I lost a son who died at 40 years old three years ago. He died of a massive heart attack. Doesn't make any sense to me. But I have to be someone who believes that God has this all under his control in one way or another. I don't agree with it. Marianne doesn't agree with it. My kids don't agree with it. Many of our church don't agree with it, but it's the fact. So no matter what the situation is for us, we need to realize that God has everything under control. Jesus says there is nothing outside his arena of my capacity to handle it. So when John saw Jesus here, he, he is stunned by what he sees. It's intriguing to me what, what takes place in this particular portion of scripture that we're dealing with right now. Because there was no one better acquainted with Jesus than John the Apostle. John the Apostle. There's a couple, three different Johns in the Bible, but I'm talking about John the Apostle, one of the, one of the apostles of, of, of Jesus. And John fell before Jesus, just blown away. He had never seen Jesus the way that he is. He sees Jesus here in Revelation chapter 1. He sees Jesus in a way he's never seen him before. And John is overwhelmed He's just overwhelmed by what he has seen because Jesus is no longer a baby that was born in Bethlehem. Because Jesus is no longer a 12-year-old boy who's teaching the scribes. And Jesus is no longer a 30-year-old who's preaching about miracles and signs and wonders and who ends up going to a cross and dying for our sins. But now, but now there is a revelation that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is saying throughout all of human history, Throughout all of what will be judged, for what all will have to end up with, you need to realize, he's saying, that I am the one who's taken you to this place. I am the beginning and the end of it all. I know the whole story is what he is saying. I understand the whole story. And Jesus is eternal and almighty and in control of everything because he is the king of kings and Jesus is the Lord of lords. Amen. And he is sovereign supreme. Go with me to Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Love these verses. And when I saw him, this is John the Apostle. John the Apostle says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. 
and I have the keys of Hades and of death. As followers of Jesus, we have no need to fear. We have no need to fear. The story of the great judgment of God coming on this world, that is something horrific. We're going to talk a little bit about it today. It is something that is horrific. But we as believers and followers, we have no need to fear because our Savior, our Redeemer, has it all under control. All under control. My friend, if I could look at you eye to eye, if I could just take a couple of minutes, you and I face to face, I would want to tell you what I'm telling everybody right now. And that is, you need Jesus. You really need Jesus. You don't need Word of Life Church. You certainly don't need me. But you need Jesus. Word of Life Church is a great church. I'm proud of it. I love it with all my heart. But we're not the ones who are your answer for your need. It's Jesus. And we can't, in our life, we can't go into our eternity without knowing Jesus. Or you're going to be forever lost. You'll be forever away from God and from humankind. It will be horrific. It will be horrific. I'll give a little bit to that message today. You need Jesus today. You don't need word of life, but you need Jesus. So I'm going to challenge you at the end of this message to maybe commit your life to Jesus today. It will change your life. It changed mine. It will change yours. And in this book of Revelation, he comes, to, he comes as a lamb and he comes as a lion. I've said that a couple of times in these last weeks. In the book of Revelation, Jesus comes as a lamb and he comes as a lion. Section two, let's go to the next section. Section two, we're going to be dealing with the chapters of Revelation chapter four and five. And the theme of that chapter is, is that Jesus is the lamb of God and Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. Here's the setting. The setting is, is that God the Father is on his throne. God is on his throne. And in his hand, he holds this scroll Sealed with seven seals, the Bible says. Let me read to you Revelation chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Then I saw a, a strong uh, angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who was worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to, to open the scroll or to look in at it. Or to look in at it. This scroll, by the way, is like a last will and testament of the declaration of all how the end is going to pan out, how it's going to be. It's about the end. Who is, who is worthy to open the, the scroll? Who is worthy to loose the seals? The Apostle John is now worried. In fact, he's beginning to freak out a little bit because nobody is stepping up. This is an amazing scene that he sees. He sees God the Father and he's holding the scroll and he's asking the question, who is worthy? Who is worthy? And nobody is stepping up. Nobody is stepping up to the, to the fact of the, roll, the scroll that needs to be opened. And it appears to him that no one was worthy to loose the seals. Again, John is freaking out over this, but this becomes so cool and so beyond words for me. But suddenly John looks and he sees a lamb. Did you hear me? All of a sudden, John who is weeping, John who is fearful that there's no one to, t to open up the scroll. All of a sudden now, John the Baptist, he, uh, uh, he, he, John sees, not John the Baptist, but John suddenly sees a lamb. When John John the Baptist. There is another John, John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus for the first time in John chapter 1, 29, John said, John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he was right. That was exactly right. But that's not the same John who is speaking right now in this book of Revelation. So um, uh, Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, and it says these words, 
and, and uh, says, and I looked and behold in the, in the midst of this, this is John speaking, the apostle John, and I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders that stood a lamb, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth is what he says. 29 times. 29 times in the book of Revelation, it declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God. 29 times in one book declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And it's interesting to note for me that Jesus is the Lamb of God is in direct contrast to the beast. To the beast. Let's talk about him just for a minute. To the beast. Here's Jesus who is the Lamb of God. And then there's the beast. And the beast is savage. The beast is, is cruel. The beast is hostile. The beast is destructive. The, the beast seeks death, seeks your death, seeks the death of all people. But Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, Jesus is, uh, the Lamb of God is, he is gentle. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is loving. Jesus is kind. He is kind. And that means, that means that he is the sacrifice for the atonement of all of our sin. Jesus is the sacrifice for the atonement of all of our sin. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, what the heck is atonement? Well, the atonement means, <clears throat> excuse me, the atonement means the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. So where humankind has sinned and failed God, Jesus was the one with what he did on the cross, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, all of that stuff. Jesus, what Jesus has done has now reconciled us to Jesus. So I go back to what I said a few moments ago. My friend, if you're here today and you've not yet given your life to Jesus, you need to do that today. You need to be the one who would give your, because there's nothing you can do. There's no good enough work. You can't give enough money away. You can't be kind enough and be good enough to have the favor of God. The only way we have favor with God is if we believe in his son, because he sent his son for us so that we would be redeemed. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. Great, great, great word. So Jesus is the, the lamb of God. Jesus is gentle and compassionate and loving and kind. And the enemy, of course, would want to make sure that you and I would never enter into that. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only one that is to open the scroll. So Jesus, Jesus is the Alpha. Jesus is the Omega. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And now it begins to get crazy. This is where things begin to really fall apart in our world as we know it today. So we're gonna, I'm gonna skip a number of scriptures. Believe me, I could read 50 scriptures going through this, but I don't want to, to, it's not a waste of time, but to waste your time when you can be digging and reading in that yourself. So the third section, section number three, it's going to be revealing from, Gen, uh, from uh, Revelation chapter six to Revelation chapter 18. So those are the verses, what we're gonna be talking about right now, and it gets crazy. It gets really, really, really hot and heavy in all of this. And the theme, of course, is that Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge. And I, I just want to pause here for a moment and say this to you as well. I know we've all dealt with situations that just don't seem fair. I know we know some people, we see things on TV continuously. We hear about things, we see things. And it's not fair. And I understand all of that. I understand that, that some of these things that are taking place just really, really wreck us. But the fact of the matter is, is what we need to trust in God. We need to put our faith and our trust in him. You need to know Jesus that way. So the theme of this particular message is Jesus righteously judges 
the earth. Jesus righteously judges the earth. So let me give you some high points. Let me just tell you a couple of good things, and then I will go, and it's not in chronological order. So let me just share with you a few high points and talk about some things. For example, number one, the temple. The temple of Israel has been rebuilt at this time. Uh, Another thing is is that the peace treaty with Israel and Palestine has now finally taken place and has happened. And that's found in Revelation chapter 11. I'll mention a couple of places where you can look in Scripture if and when you want. And then there are some, some other things that begin to take place. The Antichrist shows up. The Antichrist or the beast rises and institutes the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. What's the mark of the beast? Anybody know? Anybody know? Come on, come on, come on. Mark of the beast is what? 666. Correct. You win the prize. You got a brand new car outside the church as you leave here. I'm just kidding. We're not giving away a new car. But anyhow, um, uh, we we find here that uh, the beast comes along and he starts handing out the mark of the beast, of course. And then the Antichrist. The Antichrist is killed but is raised back to life. The Antichrist is killed but is raised back to life. Revelation chapter 3. I'll read this one to you. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, uh, chapter 13, I'm sorry. Chapter 13. Come on, Randy. They're waiting, they're waiting. They're wa- there it is. And I saw one of his heads. Listen to this. Again, this is John speaking. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. His deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him is what it's talking about. And then immediately following that, God himself, he appoints two witnesses here in these these terrible, horrific days that are taking place to perform miracles and to preach the gospel. And the both of them end up getting murdered. And the both of them ended up also being raised to life again. And you can find all of that, again, in Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 13. Again, too much to read right now. So, it, it unfolds even more. A lot more things begin to happen. Let me just share with you some of them. The Antichrist assassinates world leaders to institute a one-world government. The scriptures show these things. Uh, 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 and, and the horrible cataclysmic judgments Uh, from God are being poured out in the middle of the great tribulation that's taking place. These are cataclysmic judgments. These are are things beyond our imaginations, things we've never seen before. Things we've never seen before is beyond our words. There there are seven judgments that that are taking place with seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. So a total of 21 horrific judgments, horrific judgments are coming from Jesus, the righteous judge. He is the one who is making all these things. The moon turns to blood, the Bible says. Tremendous wars and bloodshed. One quarter of the population are going to die from famine, plagues, and wild beasts. Hail and fire mixed with blood from the sky. And also there will be poisonous locusts that will attack and kill many. One third of the vegetation will be destroyed. One third of the water in our world will be contaminated. One third of the light is going to be gone. It will be lost. One third of the world is going to die under this particular judgment. One third of the world. There will be millions and millions and even billions of those who are going to suffer and die. Remember, this is Jesus, the righteous judge, righteously judging sin. 
Sores are going to appear on those who have the mark of the beast. Water is going to turn into blood. Earthquakes as never experienced before are going to be taking place. The sun is going to scorch people to death. And this is called the seventh bowl, the seventh bowl, the seventh bowl judgment. And that again is found in uh, Revelation chapter 16. There's going to be, um, and probably, probably what's happening right now is many of us are, are thinking, you know what, not only is this horrible, but it's not fair. I mean, it's just not fair. Look at what God is doing. Look at what's taking place. These people are being killed. They're being, they're being killed all over the place. This isn't fair. And as your pastor today, I am here to tell you, no, indeed, this is all fair. This is fair. This is fair. What Jesus is doing, what God is doing in these last days, this is fair. We all know of someone who had a, had a horrible uh, thing happen to them. Something horrible happened to them at some time, and, and the perpetrator got away. They got away with it. They were able to do whatever they wanted to do, to, to rape the wife, to do whatever the things were that, that the perpetrator did and got away with it. They hurt someone. They did something horrible. They did something violent. And they didn't, they didn't pay for that in any way, shape, or form. And most of us here in this room would sit back and reason with one another, and probably we would say, that's not right. I mean, if that really happened, this is not right. That's not right. It's not fair. Because inwardly, we know that wrong should be punished. Amen? Wrong should be punished. But listen, Revelation chapter 6 through 18, all of those chapters, is, in, is the time in human history that God says, I am now through my son Jesus, judging the world for its sin. It's right here in this environment. It's right here where God is showing up and God is saying, I am now through my son Jesus, judging the world for its sin. Judging the world for its sin. But pastor, the way things are coming down, how could it possibly happen? Well, Jesus here, what we're seeing here in the scripture is that if you would honestly, and I mean honestly, if you would honestly take a look, you would be able to see the patience and the long suffering of God through these events. If you were to read more of this, I'm just giving you highlights, I'm giving you points, but if you were to take the time to read some of this, you would see that, that uh, the, through the long suffering of God, that God is using these judgments as a way for people who are left behind, for the people who didn't get raptured, for the people who weren't rescued from this place but are going through this great tribulation, it is a way for people to be able to repent and turn back to God because God will still offer eternity to any human being if they want it. And all you need do is to call on the name of Jesus. All you need to do is to believe what Jesus did on the cross was for your sin. Like we believe for the majority of us in this room, he died for my sin. He died for, for all of our sin. Which takes me now to section number four. Section number four, and we're going to be dealing with the books of Revelation chapter 19 and 20. It begins to get better. Things get, begin to get better. The theme here in these, in these uh, two uh, verses here is dealing with Jesus is the king of kings and Jesus returns with his church. Jesus returns with his church. This is incredible to me. This is incredible for two reasons. Number one, I love Jesus and number two, I love horses. Okay, so here we go. Revelation 19 beginning in verse 11. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse 
And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes wars. Listen. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Come on, say it with me. The Word of God. Say it one more time. The Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Listen, that's us. Followed with him on white horses. I'm going to ride a horse in heaven. I can't wait. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That, uh, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And, and uh, he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We praise you, God. We praise you, God. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That leads us to the final battle. That leads us to the final and the last battle that I want to talk about here just for a moment. Um, and and uh, actually, it's a little bit, in my opinion, it's a little bit anticlimactic because of where we've been. And now we, many of us know where we're going with this last and final battle. The beast and the false prophets are seized and they've been cast immediately into the lake of fire. They're gone. The beast, the false prophets, they're seized. They're gone. The battle will, will be um, west of the Jordan. West of Jordan, the plain, and, uh, uh, and in, in the plain of, of, of Jezreel, sorry. And, uh, and it's called the Battle of Armageddon. How many have heard that term before, the Battle of Armageddon? Probably just about every one of us. Armage the Battle of Armageddon is known as the great day of God, the Almighty, in which the great looming mountain of God's just and holy wrath is going to be poured out against unrepentant sinners poured out on unrepentant sinners. Not the grandma, not the little kid, not the teenager, not the fairly good man. He's talking about those who are not even moving toward God. God's just and holy wrath is going to be poured out against unrepentant sinners led by Satan in a literal end of the world final confrontation. Armageddon is the is a symbolic name given to the event based on the, hermeneutic, the hermeneutical method supports the, the uh, position in, in Judges chapter 4 and 5, where God miraculously destroys the enemy and his, and, uh, and his elect Israel would be protected. In other words, Jesus is going to be on his white horse, and he's going to lead us, his church, and on our white horses to follow him into the battlefield. And honestly, I can't wait. I just, I can't imagine how incredible and amazing it's going to be. And after that, of course, the battle starts. Then Satan is bound for a thousand years. And he's cast into a bottomless pit, the Bible says, that is shut up and it is sealed. In Revelation chapter 20, the millennial reign of Christ begins. Jesus now begins his uh, benevolent rule over the earth for a thousand years. For a thousand years. Jesus is going to be the one in charge. Thank God. He's going to be the one in charge. 
And Jesus stands victorious with his church because Jesus is, say it with me, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is who Jesus is. Jesus is not some politician, thank God. Jesus is not an elected official, thank God. But Jesus is the great I am. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So when you ready yourself for Jesus to soon return, when you ready yourself to read and to hear the words of Revelation and you keep your focus squarely on Jesus, it won't make you fearful. It won't make you fearful. It will build your faith. As you start seeing things happening and you're knowing these are signs that God is coming. These are signs that Jesus are coming really soon. It will cause you to long for the return of the Son of God for His coming. Which leads me to my last and final Final section, and that's section number five. Section number five, uh, Revelation 21 and 22 that is covered there. Jesus, the bridegroom, is the theme. Jesus, the bridegroom of his church, and Jesus makes all things new. Go with me to Revelation 21, verses one through seven. I read this last week, but I'm gonna read it again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Would you please close your eyes with me? I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. And I saw a new heaven and a new, and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away, listen, 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 and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. They shall, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the mountain of water to, of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son, and she shall be my daughter. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Lord. In heaven. Stand with me. In heaven. In heaven, God will wipe away every tear of our eyes. In heaven, there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain or suffering. In heaven, never again shall there be the word cancer. Never again shall there be diabetes or heart failure or whatever other health issues that we deal with. Finally, it is done. Finally, it is complete. Jesus, the bridegroom, has restored us back to the way that we were created to be. God, the creator, dwelling with his beloved. I will be, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. This is so good. This is so good. This is so good today. 
In just a moment, we're going to sing our third, uh, fourth and final song, our final worship set. We've got plenty of time here. We have some people up here who have been praying in another back room for every one of you. If you have any need whatsoever, you don't have to tell them a long story. Just let them know what's going on, and they will begin to pray for you. I'm telling you, God is meeting people here at this altar. We're going to sing our last song, and as we begin the song, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat if you would like prayer for any of these people and let them pray over you. But first, before I do that, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I want to give you an opportunity, my friend, whoever you may be, that maybe today would be the day that you would give your life to Jesus. Maybe today would be the day that you would be assured. Again, I'm not asking you to be a member at Word of Life. I'm asking you to consider to give your life to Jesus. So you are one decision away from your whole life being changed for you being changed by God's love and being changed by God's uh, grace. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? But the thing that you need to do, my friend, is that you need to ask God to forgive you. You need to ask God to be in charge of your life. The Bible tells us that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, Jesus says, the Bible says that you will be saved. You and I will be saved if we believe what Jesus has done for us. This is very simple. This is not complicated what I'm asking you to do. So if you want to choose to believe in Jesus, to follow him, very simply what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and it's your choice to pray this prayer. And if you would like to give your life to God today, I want to lead you, and I want you to repeat every word that I say. Again, please bow your heads. I don't want anybody to feel embarrassed. I want you to be able to say these words. I want you to say them with your lips. I want you to say them or with your voice. If you want to just say it within your own mind and heart, I don't care how you do it, but make this prayer come to Jesus. Follow me in this prayer if you want to pray that prayer. Say something like this. Say something like this to God if you would. You can say, dear Jesus, I've messed up. Come on, say it again. Jesus, I've messed up. And I know I've done wrong things. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come on, say it again. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. Become, come into my life and become my Lord and my Savior today, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Now there's two things I want you to do. Number one, I want, to tell, I want you to tell the person next to you, I just gave my life to Jesus, number one. And number two, let's give them a round of applause, all of these people who've made that decision today. Thank God, thank God. We're going to sing that last song right now, so if you would begin that, come on down for prayer. Don't, please don't leave until we release you in just about four minutes. You're going to be out of here. Thank God.